Welcome everyone to season two of How to Acquire Podcasts. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time uh, listening to our podcast, make sure you go back and listen to our first season. We had a lot of really great uh, guests and experts in uh, various uh, industries, uh, whether it be the capital markets, venture capital, um, note investing. We have a variety of ways that we can service you as an investor and talk about the different asset classes that you may be interested in acquiring. For season two, we're going to actually kick off with a industry outlook on oil and gas industry. Uh, We have some really great uh, experts uh, joining us today uh, that will introduce themselves uh, shortly. Um, We're really excited about this conversation and I want to talk about briefly something that came across my desk. Uh, There was a report, actually, uh, that came across my desk, and it really opened my eyes. It was actually talking about uh, the global, um, the global, the top global industries, right? And when I looked at it, I realized that uh, the subject today is actually in the top 10 largest global markets or global industries by revenue. Oil and gas currently in 2021, based off this report, and we're going to put the information in the show notes for you so you can check it out for yourself. Based off this report, it's already made over $2 billion uh, globally. And so we need to understand this particular industry if this is an area that people uh, may be looking to invest in. Now, most investors right now, they're looking at trendy, shiny object uh, situations. But many uh, successful investors are telling us, and when I say successful investors, I mean the Warren Buffett's, the Ray Dalio's, I mean the, the top billionaires, right? They're telling us, hey, I'm not sure if we trust this Bitcoin. I'm not sure if we trust these uh, new things that are popping up. They're kind of trendy. And I'm not here to say what is or what isn't a good investment. I'm simply saying this is a top 10 global industry by revenue. And it would take us, it would behoove us to actually sit here with this information and make sure we're studying the top industries globally and figuring out where's our place in it. Our guests today come on to How to Acquire Podcasts to bring their expertise in their particular areas to show us the different areas within this industry that could be of importance or of value and what the industry is doing overall that may be of interest to you as an investor. And so we are grateful, we are honored uh, to have this conversation today for a uh, multi-billion dollar industry. We're able to now analyze it with true experts here on How to Acquire Podcast. So sit back, enjoy the first episode of the second season. Let's take a industry outlook on oil and gas. I'm DJ Motri 
of Acquisitions Network, and welcome to How to Acquire Podcasts. All right, we are back for our season premiere, uh, season two of How to Acquire Podcasts. And to me, this is so exciting because we're going to actually be able to dive into the oil and gas industry. I know many investors want to know more about this particular space uh, because for many, it's an unknown territory. And so this is going to be really exciting to sit down with two uh, industry experts to understand what currently is happening in oil and gas, what should we be paying attention to, and kind of how we got to where we are today. Uh, joining me today is Charlie Winston and Mason Yon. Welcome to How to Acquire Podcast. I'm excited to speak with you both. Uh, let's start with uh, Charlie. Uh, tell us about yourself and actually both of you. Charlie, start with you. Tell us about yourself, your company, and your experience in oil and gas. Uh, my name is Charlie Winston. Uh, I'm a oil and gas petrophysical consultant, have been for almost half a century. Uh, I finished college in the early 70s with bachelor's degrees in mathematics and physics. My goal at the time was to teach high school and have summers, holidays, Christmas, and spring break off. Unfortunately, I was discovered by an oil field service company. They offered me less time off, but they did offer me three times as much money and great benefits. Though improving humanity <clears throat> and more time off were important to me, the day was won by money. 10 years later, I decided that I was experienced enough and smart enough to become an oil and gas consultant. I started a consulting company, which eventually morphed into oil and gas evaluations and consulting or OGEC for short. I knocked on doors for a couple of months until I got my first two-week consulting job. I worked with the attitude to give the client more than they expected, deliver the product quicker than they expected, and charge less than they expected. The client recommended me to their associates, and it was two years before I took another day off. I never had to do any selling after that. They called me. My consulting work became half and half between office and field. I primarily did petrophysical evaluations of oil and gas wells while they were drilling. My calculations were done by hand with a chart book and calculator, then later on by PC computer. Up to the mid 80s, clients would receive their data as paper logs at the well site. The petrophysical measurements had to be read and calculated by hand from these paper logs. Digits did not start becoming available on site until the mid 80s. I saw the value of working with continuous foot-by-foot -foot digits and started another company, Petrasize, for the express purpose of digitizing wireline data. Petrasize converted digits from paper logs to digital computer files. These digits served my needs as a petrophysicist. They were also useful for geologists and geophysicists, thus Petrasize took on a life of its own. Another 10 years passed and I was asked into a client's office for one week of petrophysical calculation on one of their field, existing fields. I finished up a day early, gave them my notice, and headed for the elevator. They called me prior to the elevator door opening and said they had another project. Twelve years later, I got on the elevator for the final trip down to the parking lot. During that time, 
I was asked by their offshore division to take on a project and simultaneously was offered a project by their land division. I chose the work for the offshore division. A VP handling the land division asked why I picked the offshore work. I told him that his company's offshore division pays by return mail and the land division takes 60 to 90 days. Mm. My, com my comment resulted in a bit of a ruckus and changed how their land division took care of their contractors. Nice. After that offshore project, the company had a deep water international project for me, which lasted years. A few years later, a VP told me they were cutting costs and inquired about my contract, specifically the amount of notice his company was required to end my contract. I explained that my contract was until the end of the day. He gave notice to all the consultants that had months of cancellation charges, but did not get back to me for several years. When Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, I'd been asked, I'd been working out of my home office for a few years. At that time, a New Orleans-based oil company asked me to come to New Orleans for a six-month contract to do deep water operations geolog geological work. My New Orleans is a great place to visit, great place to work, the best food in the world, but not my home. I finished out my six-month contract and headed back to Houston. During my six months in New Orleans, I continued to do petrophysical calculations for my Houston clients. Being in New Orleans, I was unable to go to my Houston clients' offices to review all the data needed to do the work. Petrophysical work is about solving a puzzle that lacks many of the pieces. A large part of the petrophysicist's job is to identify, locate, and retrieve all the data that is available and relevant. My Houston clients would send the basic data, but not all the data in their files. It was not a matter of keeping the data from me, but rather not knowing what data was relevant, available, and where it was located. While managing G&G well site operations from New Orleans office, the company was paying an expensive well data gathering and distribution company for the well data while drilling these wells. This allowed good control of the data for me from their office. The price for the data management services was relatively small for these $100 million wells, but too high price for normal land wells. It was costing $1,000 a day, but needed to cost a couple of thousand dollars per well for the less expensive, expensive land drilling business. To improve my data gathering for land wells, I put together a new company named WellDrive. WellDrive complemented my consulting company, OGEC, by gathering, storing, and distributing all the data accumulated at the well site while drilling, completing, and producing. WellDrive provided these services at a very reasonable price for land wells. WellDrive allowed me access to all the data I needed to do petrophysical consulting for my clients with little or no back and forth searching for data. Turned out that WellDrive was also good for managers, reservoir engineers, geologists, geophysicists, production engineers, et cetera, allowing them quick access to the data they required. WellDrive took on a life of its own and continues to do well to this day. I did one more G&G &G well management stint for a deep water oil company. I started off with a six month deep water 
Gulf of Mexico well. That one well was followed by international deep water projects and this consulting work went on for six years. Though I refer to OGEC, Petrocise and WellDrive as my companies, I would not have been successful with any of them without the help of partners. While working in-house for clients, I continue to do petrophysical consulting work, nights, weekends, and holidays for my other clients. My work days started at daylight and continued until I could no longer stay awake. I worked this way 365 days per year. I modeled my work after a Chinese farmer slash philosopher who reasoned that if he worked 15 hours a day and did so every day, his family would not go hungry. I finally threw in the towel on working these long hours and went on social security at age 70. At that time, I started concentrating more on surfing, less on petrophysics. Recently, I was having lunch with some of my friends with similar consulting experience. The idea came up that with our combined diverse oil and gas consulting experience, we could start a consulting company and cater to oil and gas independence, financial institution, and royalty owners. These people need to know the value of their oil and gas holdings. This latest company is called OREG, which is located on the web at OREGUSA.com. May Song will now follow up with the OREG story. Thank you. Thank you so much. much for that, Charlie. I, I definitely appreciate uh, hearing about your story. I really like the last part where you were talking about uh, investors understanding the value of oil and gas holdings. And that, that's definitely something that I want to make sure that we get into today. Um, May Song, if you could introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit more about uh, what Charlie's hinting at there at the end. Definitely. Yeah. So, hello everyone, this is Mei Song Yan. I spent 20 years in oil and gas industry. Definitely like Charlie, he's a role model and the veteran in the industry for me. I spent 15 years in majors and independent. And the last five years working as an independent consultant is really opened my eyes as an independent consultant get to know all the part of the oil and gas industry from the uh, technical side to the business side to the merge and acquisition side. Uh, DJ, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about the merge and acquisition uh, in the oil and the gas from the buy side. Uh, can you see the, uh, my slides on the screen? Yes, yes. For those who are listening on our podcast, this is actually... A really great video presentation um, a song has in front of us. So if you want access to the video portion of this conversation, you do need to click the link in the show notes and join Black Equity Premium uh, to be a part of this conversation for this how to acquire exclusive conversation on oil and gas. But to answer your question, uh, Ms. Song, yes, everything is pulled up and we're ready to go. I'm really excited to uh, hear about M&A uh, in the oil and gas industry. Go ahead. 
Thank you, DJ. So uh, for today, and I, I select the, uh, I, I will talk about the very high level about the MA in the oil and the gas. I break them into six topics. And from the value proposition to due diligence, to how to come up to a fair market value of this asset. What's the cost of the capital? And a lot of times we have a different view about the price tag for that asset from buyer, from the seller. How could we bridge that gap? And finally, last but not the most, we need to regain investors' confidence in oil and gas because Charlie and I can prove that oil gas industry is a necessary industry to provide sustainable energy for the community, for the society, for the country. It will go on. And we need investors to work in this industry. We want to work with investors to rebuild this industry. That's so awesome. next slide. Definitely. Thank you, DJ. And feel free to, to stop me to ask any questions. So the first and the foremost question, why we want to submit a bid to this asset, not that one? Is that because we have too much money to play around? Or we want just the try and error? No, of course not. There are typically two purposes. To, to do the merge and acquisition in the oil and the gas industry. We either want to expand to a new territory we want, or we want to combine our existing territory with a new one and reduce the cost. So if you have time, if you have time, uh, I highly, if you have time, I highly recommend you to uh, check those two historical cases I listed on my slides. One is the merge case between Exxon and the mobile in 1998. Another one is 2006, 2006 and the Darko, Bard, Kermagee. Those two cases happened at the two different price environment serving two totally different purpose. So, we need to clearly define why we want to buy that asset. Then we can start a fit for purpose acquisition. Okay. Uh, next one. Once we know what we want to buy, why we want to buy, we can narrow down to a small, to, to a targeted assets. Then we do we will do our screening. We will find the targeted asset. We want to look into more details. Then the team could concisely do, do could concisely do an effective due diligence study. So this is our second step. It typically includes the technical study, the corporate finance legal and even ESG side, environmental, social, and uh, governance. I want to emphasize uh, the, the important one, the on-site visit. I typically highly recommend my investors to drive to the well site, check the equipment, 
talk to the pumpers. This first-hand investigation could give you additional information about the operational status of the field. It's very, very valuable. I wanted to ask a question about now, that because ESG has been kind of a buzzword or a buzz phrase the last few years. I keep hearing ESG, ESG, ESG. For those who have no idea, how does ESG and oil and gas, how do they relate? How, where, where's the connection? Very good question, DJ. That's one of the reasons Charlie and I decided to jump into your podcast to, to show people the ESG side from the oil and gas. If you live in Texas, you will remember the February winter storm. Without yeah. the natural gas supply, we will still don't have the power to heat up our house at so cold weather. And uh, so for the oil and gas industry, they provide, they, they are part of sustainable energy supply for our society, for the community. Also, oil and gas industry provide jobs, provide energy security for the nation. Certainly, okay. but not lastly, oil and gas are natural resources, raw materials for petrochemicals. Look at the hat Charlie is wearing right now. Look at the cap, the glasses, the clothes. Okay, without oil and gas as a raw material, I'm sorry, we have nothing to wear. We don't have a house to live. So a lot of times, that's one side of the story. A lot of times I think oil and gas industry behave like a standalone industry, did not talk enough about our contributions to the, to the society, to the country, to the tax. And a lot of people are talking about the renewables. Those renewable, the wind power, the solar power, they did not pay enough tax to cover the transportation, to fix the railroad, to fix the public uh, highways. This part was paid by the gasoline pump side from the oil and gas industry, from the petrochemical industry. We are supporting those renewables. So, Wow. Oil and gas is doing their part on ESG and is doing better and better nowadays. That's my view. And feel free to talk to me later on about more ESG questions. I think it is a very valid, critical, critical question for this industry. Thank you so much for answering. Please continue. Uh, so the third step is we need to come up with a fair market value for the asset and submit it to the seller. A fair market value will vary at a different price environment. When oil price is good, investors will assign high value to the pod. And I have the definition on the pod at the left corner of the slides is proved undeveloped. Uh, reserve. And uh, that's the accuracy that's proved to be 
prolific, but need the capital investment for the development. That's the time we need investors' support. In 2020, it's an unprecedented year for the oil and gas industry. So in this year, investors do not assign much value on part. So that's the time we need experts like Charlie, like me, like our team to identify the true value of the asset, unlock those potentials for the investors. Besides the reserve report, we should also check the corporate uh, finance statement. Uh, DJ, I believe you are the expert on this one. Understand how the operator is, uh, this cooperator, uh, co cooperator is uh, uh, operated so far. And then we also do the discounted cash flow analysis um, with different development scenarios. Of course, we also check the past transactions in the same basin and the region. That's kind of the analog study we have. We don't want to pay too much, but of course, we couldn't pay less because why would the seller sell it to you if they can get a fair market value there? And nowadays, with public information so available, so convenient uh, online, it's really hard to lowball an uh, uh, asset, lowball a deal. So conducting a good analysis and come up to a fair market value will accelerate the decision-making of the merge and acquisition. That's my point of view. So I wanna just summarize what I believe I just read. Can we go back to that one slide? So in order to find the fair market value, of an oil and gas asset, these are the different um, reports, financial statements for us to look at. You're saying a reserve report, corporate financial statements, a discounted cash flow, and transactions that are in the same region. Um, and then you're saying also to remember to adjust for the valuation based on key value drivers. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, you're right. I think you could be part of our team right now. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I'm just summarizing what I heard. Okay, so let's continue. This is really exciting because you're giving us uh, insight into an oil and gas industry that many investors do, they don't know anything about. So we want to make sure we're introducing them uh, to the possibilities here, but please continue. Yes, so next one. Why should we be so careful about our investment? Because there are always a cost associated with the capital. I remember when I first came to United States, people tell me that no free lunch. Mm. So based on the allocated debt and equity, we could estimate the cost of using that capital. It is decided by the corporate tax rate, the federal interest rate, and even the stock market return. Uh, generally speaking, I have to put a question like a quote unquote there. Generally speaking, on the gas project has a weighted average cost of capital of 10 to 20%. But that's a, just a rough number. It varies significantly at a different okay. stage of the project at a different country, 
in different regions. So don't quote that number. I just use that number as an example. Okay. So with that number, our return of the investment needs to exceed that hurdle rate. A lot of times investment uh, associates talk about the hurdle rate. How does it come from? Where does it come from? That's how we did our calculation. And uh, I, I want to talk about the 2021 corporate tax. Looks like there's some corporate tax rate hack. Very possible, no one guaranteed. And currently, federal's interest rate is almost zero. And we have a record high stock market investment return right now. So that current mandatory policies will make investing in oil and gas very promising because a lot of people are suspect the inflation is coming. Invest in a tangible asset is a good strategy to be against the inflation. At the same time, we can see the oil price is recovering right now. That's a, another benefit to invest in oil and gas industry. But again, we need to be aware of all the associated risk to the capital budgeting. You know, one of the main conversations in the marketplace right now around investing, everybody's talking about the stock market. I mean, everyone. And so I'm hearing you saying that that's a good thing for oil and gas, I believe. Please correct me if I'm wrong. The record high stock market is actually a good sign for oil and gas. Am I hearing that correctly? And if I am, why, how is that a good thing for oil and gas? What I'm saying is everybody is investing in stock market right now. Remember right. what Warren Buffett said, when people are greedy, you need to be cautious. You need to be aware. When people are, are, are afraid, you need to have that courage to do investment. I think people are afraid of oil and gas industry right now. And yes. with record high stock market return, is that a good time to capture to the, the return? in the stock market and diversify your investment portfolio? Ah, I'm just raising this question. That's a great question. So because, because everybody's paying attention over here at the stock market, why not as an investor think, well, if everybody's over here, why am I not diversifying my investments? Where should I look? One of the places to pay attention to is oil and gas is what I'm hearing. Is that correct? You're right, DJ. Okay. Yeah. And I believe you have investment bank banking background, and probably you can relate relate to this concept better than general public. Yes. Yes. I, it it yeah. makes perfect sense so to me. Next this, one? this would be yes. Yes. Next slide. This would be the perfect time to pay attention uh, to other alternative investments outside of what everybody else is doing. You can't think like the herd. You have to pay attention to the full picture. And thank you so much for uh, bringing that up. Please continue with your next slide. DJ, you nailed that one. So we will <laughs> always want to diversify our portfolio. And we okay. don't want to put all the eggs into one bag, in one basket. Yeah. 
So in this one, um, I, I still want to, so here now we figure out the what we want. We nail down the target asset. We did our due diligence study. We come up to, to a, a value for the offer. And after all the hard work, uh, the rest should be simple and easy, right? No. I hope so. <laughs> with the same, <laughs> of course, we hope so, but right. no. it, with the same, exactly same asset, the buyer and the seller could have very different perspective about mm -hmm. the price. But you know, the number one reason to kill the deal is the difference between the buyer and the seller in terms of how much that asset would worth. So how, how could we bridge that gap? I want to use 2020 at, in, as an example. One thing we should remember in 2020, in April, we had a negative WTI. How would a buyer and the seller take that number for the asset valuation? That means the seller should pay the buyer to take the asset as a negative WTI. Of course, it doesn't work. So a strategic finance engineering approach would be very helpful. There, I listed the two transactions in 2020 that reflects that strategy. Both considered the potential increase of the commodity price. In this way, the transaction agreements could be reached because the buyer shared the future profit under a higher commodity price with the seller. That's a win-win situation. Okay, so let's look at that real quick. The buyer is sharing in the profits of uh, the, the, the future uh, uh, profits that are coming from that asset. Can you explain how a deal like that is not necessarily structured, but how is that negotiated? Are you giving up something on the front end to get something on the back end? Or how, how is that, how, help me picture that in that situation. Sure, look at the slides on the case study number one, Renting okay. Resources goes to uh, Casterton resources and uh, the, the, the sale was announced in August 2020. The price tag is $245 million. However, the, the buyer will pay seller additional $90 million in the future contingent on higher commodity price. Ah. In this way, they share the case. Also, they share the benefit of additional profit if the price goes up. In this way, I call it a win-win strategy. And so if the price doesn't go up, then we don't have to worry about that $90 million in the future. But if it does go up, then you don't miss out on the opportunity uh, just because you didn't know if it was going to go up or not. Is it my hearing that correctly? Exactly. Awesome. That's exactly the same thing to the second deal. Divin accelerates the sale to Bempu Kaluming Venture. So the contingent payment is up to $260 million 
If the oil price reached more than $50 per barrel in WTI and the gas price uh, at $2.75 uh, MCF. So consider the oil price right now. Devon can collect additional money based on the contract. I don't have details about their contract term, but to me, they considered the fluctuation of the commodity price and they create a win-win strategy for both buyer and the seller. I think that helps the merge and acquisition deals during the downturn. And in your industry, contingencies are a common thing. So it's not, if, if we came to a contingency, it wouldn't be a rare thing. In your particular field, contingencies would make sense uh, when trying to come up with a creative deal that's gonna be a win-win for both parties. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a, a norm, but uh, it's a good thing to accelerate the decision-making okay. of the transaction. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Thank you for, for helping us understand that. Thank you. Clear. So next one is uh, the situation in oil and gas industry is the capital market is fleeing away from our industry. And we know Charlie can prove that uh, this is a capital intensive industry. We need a CapEx investment to arrest the natural decline of the field production. We want to attract the investors back. We, we want to demonstrate the profitability even at a low commodity price environment. We also need to award the stakeholders and uh, continuously advocate our contribution to the society. I, I, I can speak for myself that I care about our mother earth. I follow all the required the environmental policies when I worked in the oil field. A lot of times, like I discussed with DJ before, I feel this industry worked alone like a very lonely wolf in the society, causing mm -hmm. a lot of miscommunication and a misunderstanding. The industry do need to be more open to the general public and share our stories on how we care about our mother earth with the rest of people. So that's pretty much end of my slides. If you stick to my slides so far, stick to this podcast so far, subscribe DJ's podcast, also like, share, and connect uh, with Charlie and uh, me on LinkedIn. That's the end of my presentation today. And thank you so much. For your time. Thank you so much. I wanna have just a quick uh, reflection uh, conversation about what we're talking about here because you brought up a really great point. And Charlie, if you wanna jump in at any time, please feel free as well. Uh, you brought up a really great point when when investors are uh, greedy on a particular uh, investment, that might be the time to kind of walk away. And when people are fleeing away from an opportunity, that might be a really great time to pay attention. And what I'm hearing you saying is a lot of people have actually fled 
from fossil fuels or investing in oil and gas. And so if we take the wisdom uh, from investors in the past and some of the uh, most successful investors in history, they're all telling us, hey, when you see people running, that might be the thing to pay attention to. For those who are scared away by other people running away, what do you say to them? I know that we, we kind of touched on it in the presentation. What do you say to these new investors who are listening to this podcast? They may have seen the headlines where people are not necessarily running to oil and gas at this very second. Why is that a good thing uh, for them to witness? Um, how, why is that a good thing for their portfolio if they decide to invest in oil and gas? Charlie, go ahead. Well, uh, we're, we can't survive without the oil and gas. Oil industry's here. Uh, you got to have oil to make all the products you make. Uh, you got to have oil to drive your car, to heat your house, get food to the grocery store. Uh, natural gas, you use that for fertilizer, uh, use it for energy. Uh, our society is based on this and the society would have to be, the population would have to be cut severely to go to uh, no, no energy. Uh, we do have the uh, energy from the, you know, wind and, and solar, and that works because we have government subsidies. Uh, without government subsidies, maybe wouldn't work so good. Uh, and as we saw in a freeze, as Mason and I suffered through recently, uh, we have a freeze and, uh, you know, Texas has a whole lot of windmill energy uh, that all shut down. Wow. Uh, and, and then a lot of the natural gas shut down too, uh, because um, it wasn't prepared for the heavy freezes and so right. the gas line shut down. Um, and we just, you know, we went a few days without energy and, and everybody, every time you sit down to lunch with someone, all they talk about is how horrific it was for them during that few days. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal having the energy. It's not going to go away. Uh, you just can't imagine not being without oil and gas. You can't imagine pulling into a gas station and having them say, nah, we don't have any today. Just not going to happen because uh, you can't live with it. Uh, so uh, it's a good, good long-term investment that you do with a lot of knowledge and, uh, and be prepared to stay in it for a while. Okay, so and thank you for that, uh, Charlie. And, and then those who are watching on, on our uh, premium channel, we, we do have the slide up where it talks about the Houston blackout on February 16th. I wanna continue this conversation uh, just, just slightly here. I know we're coming up to the end. Oil and gas, although it may have heavy concentrations in areas like Texas, Louisiana, the Gulf of Mexico, it really uh, powers the entire uh, United States. That, that, that area doesn't just take care of Houston and Texas and Louisiana and the other states uh, around that area. It takes care of all of the United States and probably outside of the United States as well. Am I am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. Definitely. And when investors are looking to invest, what exactly are they looking to invest in? 
when it comes to like, okay, if I wanted to invest in a business, I would go find business owners in a particular field, reach out to them and say, hey, I would love to invest, uh, invest in your company in exchange for equity. Is it similar in oil and gas? Is it, what is the procedure of investing in oil and gas? There's a, there's a total so range. Now is a good time to, yes, Charlie's right. There are uh, different investment strategies. That's a time the investors could come to Charlie, to me, to our website, find the experts to, we, we want. We normally want to understand the investments, uh, investors' uh, uh, goal, short right. term, long term, and uh, want to participate in the operation or not. If we have time, we can extend to an, another whole day to talk about the different investment strategies in oil and gas. So. I don't want to take too much time. Basically, sure. like Charlie stated, a, a lot of different options. And uh, uh, maybe next time we can just talk one topic in this one for your podcast. Sure, sure. And I, I look forward to that conversation. But what I'm hearing is you can be an active investor. And I'm also, I think I'm hearing, you can be a passive investor as well in this particular area. Is that correct? Can you be active or passive? Whatever fits. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> if, if you're if you're a billionaire, you're going to be an active. If you're uh, a secretary, you're more of a passive. Like you're investing in Exxon companies like that. Okay. Uh, so um, it it depends on your situation. Okay. So investors are listening to uh, this conversation, and they're probably going to want to reach out to you as a consultant. What is the best way to reach out to uh, you and your company? OREGUSA.com is our, when, our website. And that, that gives our people. And, and what we're providing is uh, a group of people that are all very well experienced, very well knowledgeable. And we can uh, help people evaluate something before they spend their money. Now, I'm not talking about evaluating Exxon or Shell. I'm talking about evaluating uh, prospects or uh, royalties you own or uh, royalties you want to buy, for instance, um, or buying into small oil and gas deals. But, oh, I see it here. O-R-E-G uh, dot, dot U-S-A. Is that correct? No, oh. O-R-E-G-U-S-A dot, dot com. com. Perfect. So they were going and, to uh, the, the second page on that shows uh, uh, the people we've got involved, and it just kind of gives you a good feel for the people. These are people who've survived in this business a long time, know what they're doing. So going and and pin down, you'll just you'll see the people. We have geologists, we have geophysicists, we have land awesome. people, we have reservoir engineers. Uh, all these guys have been around and doing this for a long, long time. They're well experienced. Uh, they can lead you in the right direction. Uh, oh, that's awesome. That's, that's years of experience. I see Charlie there. I see May Song there. I see the whole family there um, uh, ready to be at service to help you evaluate your oil and gas potential investments. So that's yep. awesome. So I'm, now, I'm now really... May, 
Yeah, Maysong yes. is only Maysong's only got about 20 years, and the rest of us have, I think, 40 plus years. However, Maysong gets in there because Maysong's the smartest of the group. Maysong is is actually really smart and does I good work and, and produces uh, the product that the client needs in the end. And I'm looking here and it says yeah. uh, experts in reservoir and reserve production, drilling, land management, legal due diligence. I mean, really economic analysis, database management. You have multiple areas in oil and gas and that you could have any interest in that you could potentially invest in. Am I understanding that right? That's, That's right. That's awesome. So okay. Basically, Basically, we provide an integrated uh, oil and gas consulting service from subsurface te technical to database to economic to the land to the legal part, the full range you could think for oil and gas industry. Well, I, one of the things someone asked me the other day, what is it I love about uh, my job or I, I guess it's a job. I, just, I have a lot of fun. I don't really call it a job, but what do I what do I enjoy about what I do? I love get, getting people access, and so what I'm really proud of and really excited about is now our community of investors have access to an organization that they can go to to learn about oil and gas uh, and decide for themselves what would be the best investment strategy uh, for them. And so, based off what you're saying, we're going to go ahead and. Um, wrap up here but based off what you were saying earlier um you have yeah you have a open door to come back in the future maybe um later on in this in this season of our podcast maybe we can even do do the season finale and talk about all the different investment options in oil and gas what i'm really excited about is you're right a lot of people are running away and that's a perfect opportunity for us to learn about this particular area invest in this area and have a long-term vision of what is what is it we're looking to get out of this as investors and also what are we looking to put into the industry and how is it going to impact the entire uh the entire country and then on a global scale how does it impact earth how does it impact us overall and so i'm really really excited i'm so glad that both of you took the time out today uh to have this conversation any final thoughts before we head out Charlie, go ahead. <laughs> I was just trying to, uh, just like any other investment, uh, learn, you know, learn about it before you write a check. Okay. I appreciate that. May Song, anything uh, you want to add? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, uh, I really appreciate this opportunity, DJ, you provided to me and Charlie. So we can introduce this industry to the people outside of this industry. Right. Uh, the silver lining of this pandemic is it opened the people's mindset to, to get access to a lot of virtual conference, virtual podcast, to know these things outside our comfortable zone. So I, I, I want to use your podcast as an opportunity to introduce to those investors. Um, we're not asking you guys to invest or to do things right away. Come to learn from this industry. Ask yes. the questions. 
Charlie and I are always there to help you, to guide you through this pandemic time and establish a, a well-invested asset and uh, for the future. And I'm also going to add uh, the link to your uh, newsletter that I, you know, I love reading. That's actually how we met, Nissan. I was, I think we were already connected. I'm not sure, but somehow I'm reading your newsletter that's coming out every week on oil and gas industry. And I'm just blown away by all the things that I don't know, which I love. I love learning new things. And so uh, thank you again for taking this time out. So what we'll do is we'll put uh, all this really great information in the show notes. If you're looking for the video uh, version of this, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes as well. I want you to be able to see everything that May Song is talking about uh, because you have to be able to see it with your own eyes so you can really uh, take this in. Uh, so we'll leave a pin right here. Uh, for those who want to learn more, um, we'll have a, a link in the uh, show notes to your website where they can reach out to you and, and have that learning process. And in the future, we would love for you to come back and talk about specific investment opportunities. But right now, it's time to learn oil and gas. I wanna thank May Song, uh, thank you, Charlie, for both of you for coming on and taking time out of your day to uh, expose us to a whole new world of investment in oil and gas. Thank you so much. And, and thank you, DJ. Thank you, DJ. Have a nice day. All right, we still there? just introduced you to a multi-billion dollar industry and the question I have for you is why aren't you part of our network there's a link in our description where you can actually watch the full video the full presentation you'll be able to see all the data everything tied to this conversation if you enjoyed today's conversation you're going to want to join our community of investors because we're going to be looking at the top industries, bringing on the right people to have the right conversations. And we are so thankful for today's guest to really open our eyes and give us a big vision of what is currently happening in the marketplace, what is currently happening within the industry, an industry that is one of the top 10 largest industries by revenue. And the data is showing us for 2021 that it's still true. The data is showing us right there in front of us that this is one of the largest industries out there. And as an investor, you may want to pay attention to it. So make sure you go ahead and join our community of investors. Be part of what we are creating and also uh, join our newsletter, join every single thing that we have going on so you can be informed and be on the inside of this data and this information and these advisors. If you would like to work with uh, the company that we feature today, you need to go ahead and check out their website, send us a message. We want to make the proper introduction. One of the things that we pride ourselves on here is connecting entrepreneurs with investors and connecting investors with investors. 
These are a great group of experts who will be able to do a proper asset evaluation on things that may be important for you to invest in. And it's called a case-by-case situation. So if this is something that you're interested in, we need to talk. I want to thank every single body for coming through and uh, having this conversation with us and listening in and being part of this movement. It's very powerful, very, very powerful for us to start having these conversations so everyone is aware of the opportunities that are in front of us and we don't let them slip by. Once again, I'm DJ Moultrie of Acquisitions Network and thank you for listening to How to Acquire Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This is a really great way to kick off the first, uh, the start of the second season. Uh, I look forward to uh, speaking with everyone soon on the next episode.